The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with Scott Saunders, Senior Vice President of Asset Preservation Incorporated, a leading national 1031 exchange company. He discusses the current state of 1031 exchanges and the value they provide to commercial real estate and the national economy as a whole. Saunders also outlines the many uses of 1031s available to CRE professionals and how the industry can leverage such tools in response to the large-scale changes resulting from COVID-19. Scott, first of all, thank you so much for joining uh, Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you on this. Thanks so much for having this uh, important topic, dealing with 1031 exchanges. Yeah, yeah. And, and to set the stage a bit, um, can you just outline the basics of the 1031 like kind exchanges as defined by, by the IRS? Yeah, absolutely I can. You know, one thing just kind of leading off, when you talk about exchange, it's been in the tax code now for 101 years. So we're talking about a, a very time-tested concept. In terms of the basics, there are a lot of different ways that you can use a 1031 exchange. There's a format called the simultaneous. There are things called parking arrangement transactions, known as reverse and improvement. But the most common exchange format is what we call a delayed or a deferred exchange, where somebody sells a property that's being held for investment or used in a business, and then they've got some time deadlines um, that are involved with that. So they sell a property, that's day zero. They then have 45 calendar days to identify new property. So we call that the identification period. And then they have another 135 days after that for a maximum of 180 days to close on something they've identified. So it, it gives some flexibility. You can identify, um, depending upon the rules, different properties. So you've got a little bit of flexibility. And then in that process, a company called a qualified intermediary gets involved and they actually prepare some paperwork. They step into the transaction and actually hold the funds. So when you're doing an exchange, if you just look at it most simply, if I was to sell a property, I give up a property and I get back cash. When we do a 1031 exchange, we give up a property and we get back what's called like-kind property, also held for investment or used in a business. So it's property for property, where a typical sale is property and you're going to get back a cash out of the transaction. It seems like in a basic sense, this is just a way to kind of streamline and encourage reinvestment, if that's correct. Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole benefit of an exchange. You, you actually have to reinvest the proceeds into other like-kind property. So from that standpoint, it's really a great tool that commercial investors and brokers use to redeploy into better performing properties, right? Typically people are gonna maybe leverage up, maybe they'll add a little bit more financing, maybe they'll add a little more cash, but they're gonna sell a smaller asset 
most of the time people are going to go into a larger property of some sort, which allows them to improve their position. And then frankly, that's a win for the investor. Um, and, and it's a good situation for the real estate broker who's helping them on both sides of the transaction as well. Yeah, it, it seems like this is a, uh, an obvious tool for, for many CRE professionals. Is there a way to kind of quantify the overall impact of, of 1031s? Yeah, great question there. There is. There have actually been some studies that have been done. Something around uh, 20% of all commercial transactions involve a 1031 exchange. So that could be somebody selling a property and doing an exchange out of the property, what we call the relinquished property, or it could also be exchanging into the replacement property because you've got two sides to an exchange. Now, you, your question was great. Um, you kind of alluded to kind of economic activity and, and kind of the impact. I've got some fairly recent information. There was a study done by Ernst & Young looking at the 1031 industry and looking at the impact of 1031 exchanges and some pretty amazing statistics. I'll, I'll share a few of these with you here. In terms of the overall economy, this is just last year in 2021. 1031 exchanges contributed $97.4 billion to GDP. So, I mean, that's a huge driver of activity. Now, they further broke out some other statistics that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, in terms of jobs created, 976,000 jobs mm. and a little over $48 billion in labor income. And they even drilled down a little further and um, came up with the number of taxes um, generated tax revenue of over $13.8 billion in federal, state, and local taxes. So some pretty significant numbers when we really look about the impact overall of 1031 exchanges on our national economy. A huge, a huge driver. Yeah, and you mentioned um, it's, a, it's a program that's been around for more than 100 years. Is it, has it grown in popularity? Has it always kind of been an integral part of commercial real estate? Or you know, has, has it become a more um, commonly used tool these days? It's definitely gotten more popular as time's gone on. The first exchanges back 100 plus years ago were primarily rural transactions where people would maybe swap properties. A farmer would go from a corn farm to wheat and they would swap properties. So they were typically swaps of real estate. Where things really picked up were after the mid-1980s with the tax reform then, and especially with the appreciation that we've seen in commercial real estate. As properties have gone up, investors have, under, have figured out that they're either going to face a pretty significant tax hit or they're going to look for other avenues that are out there to maybe defer taxes. Um, commercial real estate is kind of unique in that people that own commercial properties typically like it as an asset class, right? They mm -hmm. want to go ahead and redeploy and, and buy more property because they find that it works well. So certainly as we've seen properties go up in value and investors have had a lot of gain, more and more people are turning to a 1031 exchange as a way to defer paying those taxes. Lately, we've heard some conversations about uh, goings on in Washington, D.C. and possible legislation to change the tax code to, to amend um, 1031s or even eliminate them in total. Um, do you have any action? Do you have any any sense of, of what could happen or what may happen uh, in the near future? Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things to be aware of is that 1031 exchanges are sometimes looked at as an attractive way to pick up revenue, right? If you limit or restrict or do away with 1031 exchanges, presumably more tax revenue would come in. Uh, most recently, 
the Biden administration looked at capping 1031 exchanges. So putting a cap of half a million dollars for single filers, $1 million married finally jointly. And you know, I, some people, if you're looking at maybe rural America, that sounds like a lot of money. But as you and I know, when we're dealing with commercial real estate, mm -hmm. that's not a whole lot in the commercial spectrum. So capping 1031 exchanges would have really, really been a big hit. It would have had a huge negative impact on commercial real estate, commercial brokers, investors, and then think of all the other jobs that are associated. So this was something that was proposed by the President Biden, and it ended up not being a part of the proposed tax package last year, mm -hmm. that Build Back Better tax package. Originally, that was a way to pick up some extra revenue to pay for some spending programs. And, you know, let me be clear, I'm talking about President Biden and the current administration. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 34 years. And so administrations on both sides of the aisle from time to time look at 1031 exchanges as a way to maybe pick up some revenue to pay for whatever spending they want. So I just want to be really clear, it's, this is not really a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. It really is one more where people in D.C., want to pick up some extra tax revenue to pay for some spending. So that was the most recent um, threat was last year. And there was definitely some concern within the real estate industry uh, about that proposal that people would maybe pass it, not realizing that they would really hurt commercial real estate, mm -hmm. which gosh, as we all know, you know, we, we've, we've kind of gone through the pandemic, but boy, there's a lot of distress out there and, and, trying to hit real estate is, is really not a smart move. Particularly now we're looking at the impact of inflation and all these other variables. If we enter into a recession, right, we want real estate to be turning over. We want people to upgrade properties, to redeploy. We want to see more transactional activity, not less, mm -hmm. that benefits everybody and the overall economy. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, as we kind of, or as we've been saying for the last year and a half, how we're hoping to, to come out of COVID um, you know, how could, what role can 1031s play in in the recovery um, you know post post COVID nineteen? Ten thirty one, I think, is a critical tool to help as we begin to reimagine and repurpose properties. Mm -hmm. You know, I, th I think we're going to be seeing on commercial real estate some changes. You know, I, I think a lot of people project we're not going to see as much need for let's say downtown office space. Well, now we're going to need to repurpose those buildings, right? Maybe uh, reposition them, change them, serve a different need. 1031 exchange can be a powerful tool to do that. There's a structure called an improvement exchange where we take capital during the exchange period and we improve an asset and we can change its use. Um, mm. We've seen that. We've done, um, we've seen hotels being converted into condos which can be done with the 1031 exchange and other types of ways to repurpose commercial real estate. So I think having the flexibility to look at assets that are out there that maybe aren't going to see as much demand and then changing their use and using the exchange funds as a way to improve them will allow them to adapt to the marketplace and the needs of the local community. Yeah, that's great. I think um, I think one thing we've all noticed with assets that are, are you know, in trouble is, is we need creative solutions to, to, you know, to solve these problems. Um, and if 1031s can help, that's, that's even better. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, in fact, a lot of the redevelopment that you see go on in desert, I've seen, I'm here in, in Colorado, just south of Denver, and there's where people do redevelopment. I've seen that an area had some kind of saggy old hotels. Mm -hmm. Those are scraped. And then inside we brought in, 
you know, a Lowe's came in and a lot of restaurants and all sorts of development that improves the community. A lot of those are happening with 1031 exchanges where people are actually bringing in new capital, doing the redevelopment. And, and frankly, that's that's a win for everybody, right? Mm. People locally get more amenities. Uh, an area that's saggy or a little bit blighted gets improved. And the property tax base grows, which is good for the local cities. So everybody up and down the food chain really benefits when we repurpose and, and reposition that way. When dealing with with folks who may not be super familiar with um, with 1031s, are there common misunderstandings or errors in, in, in what people um, perceive the, the, the process to be? There, there are some mistakes that some people make. You know, one of the one of the ones that's probably most tragic and easily avoided is quite simply not setting up an exchange until after you close. Sometimes we get phone calls, you know, in a given month where we'll find somebody closed and then a few days after they've closed, they want to set up an exchange. So number one would be set up the 1031 exchange, get the documents in place prior to closing mm-hmm. because you can't come back after the fact. That's one that, that we see people uh, do. The other one is just to be concerned too, you know, the market right now in some areas is there's a lot of activity. Don't set it up right the day before closing. Try and get the documents in place several weeks before closing because the settlement statements will need to be redrafted. The qualified intermediary is going to need to prepare paperwork. So don't wait till the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, another one might be looking at how you hold title in an exchange. The tax owner that relinquishes a property has to be the same tax owner that buys the replacement property. Gotcha. So you want to look at the entity that's on title. If you're holding title in an LLC or partnership, you need that partnership or LLC to dispose of an asset and then that same partnership to buy a like-kind property. So you got to look at that and then you've got obviously the, the real world business considerations of lining up your financing mm-hmm. right, um, and doing those things. So I would say making sure the same tax owner relinquishes and acquires um, one other one that's it's pretty simple, but sometimes people are not aware of it, is that when you do an exchange, there are two basic rules. If you want to have 100% deferral, not paying any capital gain taxes, you need to number one, reinvest your net equity. So the net proceeds after closing costs. And then number two, you want to have the same or a greater amount of debt. So if you pay off a $2 million loan on the property you're selling, you want at least $2 million of debt on whatever you're buying. Mm-hmm. So you've got to look at both the net equity, make sure you redeploy that, and then have the same or a greater amount of debt. You can always come back and add more financing if you want, and you can certainly add more cash to make a deal work too. But at bare minimum, those are the two basic rules. Mm-hmm. By, by no means do you have to do that. Some people choose to do a partially deferred exchange. Um, I don't know if you're aware of those where Instead of deferring all the taxes, you take out a little bit of money that would be called boot. Typically, mm-hmm. it's in the form of, of taxable cash boot. And then you just pay taxes on the amount that you pulled out. So that amount becomes taxable to you. Yeah. And, and I think um, the ins and outs can be can get kind of hairy for those who, who aren't super familiar with with 1031s. But um, for our listeners, you know, how can commercial real estate professionals position themselves as experts and you know, how can they provide the value to clients and potential clients in this area? Yeah, the way you want to do that would certainly, number one, as a commercial real estate professional, you want to understand the basic rules. So I would recommend going through a class of some sort. Uh, There are classes that are out there, some for credit, some without. But 
go through a basic class, understand the basic rules. That would be kind of step number one. Step number two, a way that uh, a commercial real estate professional can use a 1031 is pull in a reputable local qualified intermediary into your discussions with your client. You know, you're kind of building a team, right? You got your clients, the investor, you're gonna have the finance piece, you'll have the closing piece at the title company, but bring in a qualified intermediary that does a lot of exchanges to maybe talk through some of these issues. Um, a qualified intermediary cannot provide tax advice, can't provide legal advice, but most qualified intermediaries have done thousands and thousands of these transactions. Mm -hmm. So we can be kind of part of the team with that commercial real estate professional giving some input. Uh, the other thing you can also consider is doing some of the more creative exchanges. The reverse exchange allows an investor to close on the replacement property, the new asset first, and then you have 180 days in reverse to sell the current property. Hmm. So a reverse exchange can be great for uh, a broker that maybe has an off-market deal. They got a really good opportunity. Somebody wants to lock it up. They close on it in a reverse exchange, and then they've got up to six months to sell their existing one. Hmm. And then those build to suit and improvement exchanges, those are great value adds. You know, what if you bought it like a, a C-class apartment building, remodeled it, right? Blew out the kitchens and the bathrooms, put a new roof on it, freshened up the outside, and now all of a sudden you upgraded a C-class asset into maybe a B-class asset that will perform better. So mm -hmm. that's a value add play that you can do with the 1031. The investor wins and obviously the commercial real estate professional wins as well with that structure. You know, you've already mentioned multifamily, office, retail. Um, is there a sector or a market that is especially well positioned for 1031s or is it is it pretty applicable across, across different sectors? It really cuts across the grain. So any type of commercial property can qualify for an exchange. So it could be multifamily, industrial, office, you know, anything is there. And, and by the way, you know, when we look at real property, it's very, very broad. Um, mm -hmm. There are things like easements can qualify. So conservation easement can qualify or uh, perpetual communication easement, which is a cell tower. So if you've got a cell tower on the top of your commercial building downtown, you could actually do an exchange out of the cell tower, but keep the building. Hmm. Um, exchanges can involve certain types of oil, gas, and mineral rights. Um, even in when we look at commercial real estate, you're probably familiar with what are known as Delaware statutory trusts, where somebody has a larger commercial building and they slice it up into smaller pieces. That's another asset class that's out there that people can exchange into. So really there are tremendous amount of options you know sometimes i even see on the commercial side you'll see somebody exchange into maybe a, a home on the lake at lake tahoe or a ski place that meets certain requirements and we've got guidance from the irs on a vacation home hmm. how do you have that so it qualifies for an exchange there's a revenue procedure 2008-16 that provides some guidance so you might be able to pick up one more commercial asset but maybe an investor does a lifestyle play to pick up that mountain retreat property that their family can use on vacations, right? Yeah, yeah. Summertime, wintertime skiing, all with all within a 1031 exchange. So it's very, very broad. Mm -hmm. the, the types of assets you can't exchange, you can't exchange your house you live in, 
primary residence doesn't qualify. And then property that's being held for sale purposes is excluded. So you can't exchange out of development property or if you're subdividing, if it's held for sale rather than long-term investment, that's excluded as well. You mentioned there's some some political discussions. There's, um, you know, nobody can really predict the future with, we've learned over the last three years that things come at you pretty unexpectedly. Um, but if you had a crystal ball, you know, where do you see the 1031 program in maybe two years or, or 10 years down the line? I'm an optimist. I see the 1031 program being used by more and more investors. Um, I don't think, you know, it certainly National Association of Realtors and other real estate associations continually try to educate people in Congress as to why this is such an important tool for the economy, mm -hmm. why it helps increase the number of transactions, why it contributes to our GDP. So I'm an optimist. I think the 1031 exchange will remain intact. You know, hopefully there won't be limitations or caps on it. What's interesting from my perspective is a lot of people get into commercial real estate, but they might actually start on the residential side, right? They pick up a home, they go into a duplex, a fourplex, a 12 unit apartment complex, and then they roll that 12 unit into a 30 unit apartment mm -hmm. complex. So in a, in a really interesting way, the 1031 exchange really allows people to kind of move up from the residential side, switch over into commercial real estate. So it's almost like the, the feeder, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the feeder tool that allows people to buy more and more property. So that's, that's really what I would see. I mean, it's been around for 101 years through all sorts of different uh, political environments, economies, good and bad. Um, and I don't know if it'll stick around for 200 years. That might be a little too optimistic. <laughs> but you're asking two years out, 10 years out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully it stays right like it is now and provides a, a great tool to brokers to help their clients reposition and improve their return on investment. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great a great place to wrap up that uh, the more deals, the better. And hopefully, you know, as, as the pandemic winds down, um, you know, we see volume pick up and, and, and more deals get done. Absolutely. It's good. Everybody wins. All right, Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate. 